I mean, I got into this whole idea of um, starting to to take my sort of fundamental research uh, to clinic because I got slightly slightly jaded saying, you know, when I was writing uh, academic grants, saying that you know this can be used for that and the other, and it'll be amazing and it'll save the world. And I decided that I was going to put my money where my mouth was and actually try and do it. And so, with that in mind, um, you look around the the space, and although there is an awful lot of innovation in the sort of uh, pharmaceutical and therapeutic world generally, in the case of patients who've got kidney failure, particularly um, dialysis, hemodialysis, and, and peritoneal dialysis, the innovation is kind of stalled, and you know it's been a sort of there's been nothing to really differentiate the various different companies on this. So what I would like to, to say to any patients who are in this uh, situation is that we at least are, are working as hard as we can to, to bring treatments, uh, new treatments to you that will hopefully improve uh, your quality of life and, and also extend your life as well. So I guess I want to say hope is coming um, and I will certainly work my uh, as hard as I possibly can uh, to, to make that a reality um, with the ultimate goal of, uh, of helping as many people as possible with you know, as many different uh, disease conditions as, uh, as we, can, we can address. Chronic kidney disease affects 10% of the world's population, approximately 850 million people, and is growing by 6% each year. Despite recent improvements in hemodialysis therapy, inflammation and complement activation remain a common byproduct of treatment. In fact, nearly half of dialysis patients meet a tragic end due to cardiovascular complications. But what if there was a way to combat the often deadly side effects of hemodialysis without interfering with its efficacy? I'm Gina Mullane, and in this episode of Vital Science, we sit down with Dr. Andy Herbert, co-founder and CTO of Invisius. We talk through the company's groundbreaking HGARD technology, their unique development journey, and the inspiration that came from the loss of one very special dialysis patient. Welcome to Vital Science, Dr. Andy Herbert. We're honored to have you. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Todd. Thanks very much. Yeah, so I'm uh, an immunologist and a, and a former academic. And uh, what really used to interest me was how uh, microbes in particular evade the, the immune system. And then shortly after studying this, it, it occurred to me that we could use some of the, the insights that we got from studying how pathogenic microbes evade the immune system and use those to, uh, to turn into therapeutics or treatments for, for patients. And so following probably the best part of 20 years in academia, I co-founded uh, Invisius with, uh, with my colleague uh, Richard Boyd. And basically my job is to, to oversee the whole of the, the science platform here at, uh, at Invisius. And in particular, to try and use the insights that we've gained from um, understanding how the immune system is regulated and how things can evade the immune system and use that as a way of protecting patients either from uh, treatments or diseases that cause their immune system to be overactive. And the one we're going to talk to, talk about today is, uh, is chronic kidney disease and dialysis in particular. 
um, which is a, is a major killer worldwide. So in, Invisius has a really interesting story around its beginnings. C- can you tell our listeners about its origins? Sure. So probably 20 years ago was when I started first investigating how uh, the immune system is regulated and how uh, microbes really managed to, to hijack the body's own defenses to help themselves. And with a fairly uh, gifted team, uh, we managed to, to come up with some understandings of the mechanisms by which this is done. And so after filing a, a patent or two, we uh, spanned the company out of uh, the University of Edinburgh back in, I believe it was 2018. And shortly after we span out, a gentleman called um, John Prosser got in touch with us through the, uh, the university's website uh, and, uh, and we set up a meeting. And he told us about, uh, about his daughter, um, Alison, who uh, unfortunately died through some of the complications associated with, uh, with the dialysis treatment that she was on. Uh, and he was very keen to, uh, to be supportive and to, to use Alison's uh, legacy and memory to try and help the next generation, if you like. Yes, yeah, so I've, I've read about Alison's legacy and what an inspiration it's been for your company. You mentioned helping the next generation avoid these same complications. Uh, can you help us understand HCARD's mechanism of action and why you refer to it as a second generation therapy? Yeah, so what we do at Invisius is we, we learn how to appropriately control a certain part of the immune system. It's called the complement system. And there are drugs and therapies in, in current use, uh, and these are what we, we term the, the sort of first generation. And pretty much by and large, what they do is they, they're a bit like a sledgehammer to, to crack a nut. So they shut down the, the whole of this part of the immune system um, and don't allow it to do its, its other jobs. Um, it has roles in, in all different types of, uh, of immune surveillance. So it's there for removing cells that are dying or distressed. It's there for cleaning up all sorts of rubbish uh, and keeping the body really healthy. And these uh, sort of first generation therapies just kind of shut that off uh, at a particular point in the, in the pathway. Now, what we've done is we've done two things. So the, the first thing is that our primary technology works by enhancing the body's own uh, complement regulators. And secondly, in addition to this enhancement of a, of a normal effect, we have the ability to move and target the, the host regulators onto the, the surface that needs to be protected. So in the case of chronic kidney disease, it's the, uh, the artificial kidney, uh, the, the dialyzer that causes um, an immune response because they're very large and they're foreign bodies and the body naturally goes and says, I want to, to attack you because it thinks it's, uh, it's under threat. So what we do is we move the body's natural regulators from where they are normally, which is floating around in the blood, and localize them onto, um, onto the foreign surface that we're trying to protect. Um, and so what this means is that we're working with the body rather than against, instead of you know, having this big sledgehammer to, to try and crack the nut, we're just tweaking things, moving things where they need to be and making them um, a little bit better than they, they otherwise would be. But apart from that, we're trying to be working in harmony with the body. 
it's really interesting. I've seen I've seen um, in some of your uh, presentations in the past that you almost reference it as a uh, invisibility cloak, which I thought was, yeah. was a very interesting way of describing it. That was uh, one of the things that we used right at the beginning was that that analogy of, uh, of the invisibility cloak. And indeed, that's where uh, ultimately the, the company's name uh, comes from. It's a, it's a sort of modification and a make-up version of, uh, of a Latin derivative of invisibility. That's a great thread for us to follow. Can you tell us a bit more about this invisibility aspect and how complement therapy works? Sure. So I guess, as I've already said, what we are all about is trying to make something that's foreign appear invisible to the, uh, to the immune system as a whole. And if you imagine um, a dialyzer, um, you, I don't know if you've ever seen one, but they're they're these really large bundles of fibers that you, you pump the blood through and, you know, all the toxins go on the outside and the blood goes through the middle. But in order to do, the, to do their job, they have a really, really large uh, surface area. It's about two, uh, two square meters, which is about the size of a you know, medium sized dining table. If you compare that to the size of a microbe, which the body can pick up instantly, as being foreign, this is uh, really quite a large thing to try and to try and hide. And indeed, naturally, um, the body picks it up, recognizes it as foreign, starts an inflammatory uh, and an immune response against it. And so, what we've what we've tried to do is we part of the work that I, I did looking at how uh, pathogenic microbes hide from the immune system. Um, we discovered one of these molecules that, uh, that we call PSPCN. And that has the ability to enhance the body's own uh, natural regulators. It makes them better at their job, but in a way that is actually how the body uses itself to discriminate between itself and something that's invading. So we have this, this part of the molecule that enhances the body's natural complement regulators. And then we stuck on an extra bit to it, and that makes it sticky and able to bind to the, the surface of the dialyzer. And so what basically happens is that we, we pass the HCARD solution through all of the blood contact surfaces, including the dialyzer, before the patient's blood is uh, comes into contact with it. The HCARD solution, or at least the active molecule in the HCARD solution, then sticks to, to the dialyzer. And then Immediately upon contact with uh, the patient's blood, it pulls out complement regulators from the patient's blood and coats the, the whole of the surface in these complement regulators. And that has two effects. One is it makes the surface look less foreign because it's coated in a normal human protein in one of its normal uh, conformations. And secondly, because it's uh, a complement regulator or an immune regulator, any sort of residual um, immune reaction that they get is then quickly dampened down. So you don't get the sort of amplification and all of the, the downstream effects. It's just, oh yeah, we see you. It's all right, nothing to see here, everything's fine. And that's generally how it works. It's great to understand the differences between first and second generation therapies. I know HGARD is focused on combating complications for these patients like cardiovascular disease. I've also read that complications can arise from the mental health perspective. Can you speak to that, the link between dialysis and, and mental health? 
Yeah, now this is uh, something that's absolutely fascinating. And it is well known that patients who are receiving dialysis treatment are generally, you know, slightly depressed. And most people put that down to the fact that the therapy itself is is a really fairly hard regime. Um, I mean, you think about it, they, by and large, go to um, a hospital or a clinic uh, three times a week. Uh, you know, it takes them an hour to get there. They then sit on this machine for four hours and then it takes them an hour to get home. The treatment itself makes them feel, you know, a bit unwell. Just before they go on, they feel unwell as well because they... They, their kidneys don't work, so they haven't been able to uh, to remove all of the, the toxins that the kidneys otherwise would do and, and removing urine. And so everyone has, uh, for a long time, just assumed that the reason for you know the relatively poor mental health of uh, dialysis patients is all down to, to the regime they're in. Um, after all, who would want to, to be in that if they, if they didn't have to and they had no other choice? But as in so many things, the, the truth is is both more fascinating and also uh, slightly darker. So one of the, the problems that they have when they're on the dialysis treatment is that they're, um, they become more inflamed. So the immune system recognizes the, the dialysis filtrosporin, as I said, and you get all of this um, excess inflammatory burden on the patient. And it turns out that this increases the, uh, the propensity to feel well, things like depression. And, you know, it's it's quite interesting. I ordinarily thought that, uh, that most people have a, a way of their, their natural sort of chirpiness, if you like, is, is kind of ingrained. We've all seen, you know, when something happens, people get miserable and then bounce back. Or, you know, if they're miserable and something good happens, they're happy for a while and then they, they reach their norm. But what it seems in the, the case of dialysis is that it's the, the treatment itself and the inflammation that, that causes uh, that then leads to um, to negative impacts on the on the patient's health. So it's almost like the uh, the inflammatory system is uh, is talking to the brain and making the brain more prone to to some mental health issues. Yeah, it's clear that dialysis can cause quite a strain on the body and the mind. Uh, it's also necessary for so many people with chronic kidney disease. So, what does access to treatment look like? For these patients, both for dialysis and for a therapy like HGARD? So HGARD comes in a very, very strange niche. So in Europe, we're regulated as a medical device. In the USA, uh, we're regulated as a drug. And if you think about it, we're, we're kind of both. So we have a, an effect on the, the patient's immune system. So that clearly makes us a drug. But we're not treating the patient. Uh, we're treating the machine, and that sounds like uh, like we're a device. So it's um, it puts us in this this very strange regulatory position. And I mean, from uh, from HGAR's point of view, it doesn't really matter to us per se, which we eventually come down to. Um, the only thing that really matters that, to me is that patients who need the treatment can uh, can get hold of it and in you know uh the richer nations of the world that is at least possible in the poorer nations of the world that's uh, you know the cost of dialysis itself is already uh, such a burden on the healthcare uh, systems that people are apparently unwilling to uh 
to want to spend any more than that. And it's always been a race to the to the lowest price, uh, shall we say. So instead of having innovation and improving the, the treatment for the patients, it's very much been all of the innovation has been focused around, around uh, reducing the cost. Um, and I think that's slightly unfortunate for, for the patients. The Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, or MHRA, has given Invisius the green light for their first in-human trial, marking a major milestone in the journey from concept to clinic. This trial will take place in Manchester, with up to 10 patients receiving a single exposure to HGARD to ensure safety and also to assess potential positive effects. Invisius has a unique focus on identifying patients with angry blood, those who struggle with dialysis due to severe immune reaction. This vulnerable subset makes up about 20% of all dialysis patients. By targeting these patients early, Invisius aims to maximize the therapy's benefits. Looking ahead, if this initial trial is successful, improving the therapy's safety, Invisius plans to conduct a larger trial. This trial, currently in design, would kick off in about a year and involves 50 to 100 patients receiving repeated exposures of the treatment every three to six months. The goal? To prove HGARD is both safe and highly effective in improving the health of dialysis patients. Let's hear more from Andy on what the development process has looked like for HGARD. I'm sure your development journey has not been exactly linear. Uh, Often with cutting edge therapies like this, you need to maneuver several challenges and plan ahead for potential roadblocks. So how has working with a contract research organization helped you stay on track in meeting your milestones? Yeah, so I mean, the the first thing that I want to make absolutely clear is that no one does this on their own. Um, You need a team of really smart people around you. So as you rightly say, the the process of uh, going from from concept through to uh, approved therapeutic or, or medical device is is not linear. And you know the first thing you have to do is to nail down the the basic science and make sure you fully understand what you that your your drug does what you think it does. But then you have to start to farm things out to to different people to get different parts of expertise. Uh, there's the whole. Uh, regulatory side of it, which is really important. You have to make sure that the questions that you answer for your submissions to the regulatory authorities are the questions that they're going to ask you. And so choosing the right partner in that respect uh, is really valuable. The next is you've got to be able to make it to the right quality and be able to prove that you're making it to the right quality. So that's a whole uh, process development and a whole set of analytical tools that allow you to demonstrate that it is what you think it is, it's as clean as you think it is, um, and the quality is sufficient to, to put into people. And so again, we collaborated with a contract manufacturing organization to help us do that. And then finally, there's the whole sort of um, preclinical and, uh, and toxicological type, uh, type work that needs to be done. And this obviously goes into the, uh, the regulatory submission as well. In this case, we, uh, we, this. we collaborated very, very early on uh, with, uh, with the Sierra Oak Charles River. And they provided us with a lot of uh, advice early on before we were even anywhere near uh, doing the, the experiments that we needed to do. And then they helped us develop a, uh, a package of experiments that would suit 
our particular uh, niche because HGARD is, is kind of funny. It's it's sort of a medical device and it's sort of a, a drug. And so making sure that you've got all of the right packages, data packages in your uh, preclinical toxicology and immunology and all that kind of stuff is absolutely vital. And so without these various uh, collaborators, it would have taken us an awful lot longer uh, because undoubtedly we would have made more mistakes. We'd basically had to bring all of this expertise in-house and then design everything and then set up all the facilities and all that kind of stuff. So for anyone out there who is uh, is on this journey, I would highly recommend you choose the right partners uh, from the beginning and get as much advice from them as you can because they're the experts in their field. And we're very grateful for uh, Invisius to be able to, to be able to partner with uh, your program to help overcome those regulatory hurdles. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate the sentiment of planning earlier ahead. I think that is so critical um, to kind of lay that out and address it early on. I think that's that's a really really great point. So if you if you think about what you're trying to do, you're trying to go to investors and the you know the financial uh, people with a story, and you and the story involves a plan, and the plan means that even before you're you're ready to do the experiments, you know roughly what it is you're going to be doing, roughly how long it's going to take, and roughly how much it's going to cost, um, and so you know planning that as as early as possible, and then really working with the the various CROs as much as you can uh, is absolutely vital and it really helped us a great deal. So let's take a look at the moment that we're in now uh, with Invisius. Um, what are the plans for advancing HGARD's development beyond clinical study? So the first thing that we have to do obviously is to demonstrate that HGARD is, is safe and that's the, the study we're, we're in at the moment. In fact, uh, just whilst we've been recording this, uh, I've just got the news that we've managed to enrol uh, our first two patients into the study. So I'm absolutely delighted to, to be able to share that with you. That's fantastic. <laughs> so it's amazing. It's really amazing. And so the, the next thing is we have to demonstrate that it's effective. And that involves larger trials with a longer duration with more people. And what we're trying to do is to show what the, what the clinical benefit to that is. And I'm quite confident that we can that we can do that. It is one of the things where a lot of biotechs fail at. But I'm relatively confident that HGARD will will work in this respect. But it's all very well getting a getting your drug or device approved. You then have to be able to to get it out there into the markets, get uh, doctors prescribing it and patients using it. And so we're now sort of thinking ahead for what our uh, commercialization strategy is going to be, much in the same way that when we were designing the, uh, the clinical trials and the uh, manufacturing. So we've been starting to get advice from uh, lots of the sort of industry players in the, in the field and find out exactly what, you know, what it is they would really like to see. We talk to the doctors and find out, you know, what would it be? What would be the, the sort of killer feature? I shouldn't use the word killer, but uh, I guess you understand what I mean. What would be the, the absolute feature that uh, that would make them prescribe that to their to their patients? And, uh, and we, you know, we have now a lot of good ideas, and so our subsequent trials are, are being designed with achieving those goals in mind. Um, I'm not liberty to say too much more about exactly the direction that we're going down, because it's kind of commercially sensitive. What Andy could share with us is that Invisius is actively exploring therapies beyond their HGARD technology. The company is focused on improving the duration of patients on peritoneal dialysis, 
which is generally better tolerated than hemodialysis, but often damages the vital peritoneal membrane. This damage leads to a fibrotic transition, making the membrane less effective in filtering toxins. Invisius has a couple of molecules in the final stages of preclinical lead development for this purpose. Within a year, the company aims to initiate the process development pathway, including manufacturing and analytics. This will involve collaboration with preclinical experts to design a comprehensive package. And the potential impact of these therapies could go well beyond peritoneal dialysis. Fibrosis affects multiple medical conditions and Andy is hopeful that the team can leverage the expertise gained in this field to expand into other fibrotic diseases. While specific molecules may vary for different indications, the underlying mechanisms and knowledge will allow Invisius to enter a broader market to address this critical therapeutic challenge. Let's hear from Andy on his hopes for these therapies moving forward. So as we come to a close, one final question for you. When you think about these patients with inflammatory fibrotic autoimmune disorders, what do you hope the future might bring for them? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So, I mean, I got into this whole idea of um, starting to, to take my sort of fundamental research uh, to clinic because I got slightly slightly jaded saying, you know, when I was writing uh, academic grants saying that, you know, this can be used for that and the other and it'll be amazing and it'll save the world. And I decided that I was going to put my money where my mouth was and actually try and do it. And so with that in mind, um, you look around the, the space and although there is an awful lot of innovation in the sort of uh, pharmaceutical and therapeutic world generally, in the case of patients who've got kidney failure, particularly um, dialysis, hemodialysis and, and peritoneal dialysis, the innovation has kind of stalled. And, you know, it's been a sort of, there's been nothing to really differentiate the various different companies on this. So what I would like to, to say to any patients who are in this uh, situation is that we at least are, are working as hard as we can to, to bring treatments, uh, new treatments to you that will hopefully improve uh, your quality of life and, and also extend your life as well. So I guess I want to say hope is coming um, and I will certainly work my uh, as hard as I possibly can uh, to, to make that a reality um, with the ultimate goal of, uh, of helping as many people as possible with you know, as many different uh, disease conditions as, uh, as we, can, we can address. But unfortunately, it's a, it's a relatively slow process. Well, as someone who has been uh, personally affected by uh, the complications of, of dialysis through a, through a family member, I, I really am excited to, to see the mission of Invisius and uh, really going to be watching closely as it, as it progresses. So uh, thank you for that. Well, thank you. And uh, it's uh, exciting times ahead, I think, in this space. Absolutely. And thank you, Dr. Herbert, for, for being part of Vital Science. Um, it's really been an honor having you on the show. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Dr. Andy Herbert is the co-founder and CTO of Invisius. Thanks for listening. Did you know that Charles River has a sister podcast, Eureka's Sounds of Science? This monthly podcast shares scientific, patient, and advocacy perspectives on trending issues in the drug development industry. You can subscribe to Vital Science and Sounds of Science on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>